Looking to develop your skills or your team skills? Where do you start? Well, join Mark from SIG as he shows you the way on episode 27. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Today is going to be epic. We have Mark Guadagnini, a.k.a. Guad, on the show to talk to us about logistics challenges and building operational excellence. Rear Admiral Guadagnini graduated with distinction from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1980, earning a Bachelor of Science in Economics. As a flag officer, he commanded Carrier Strike Group 9, served as the Chief of Naval Air Training, Head of Human Resources for the Naval Aviation Enterprise, Deputy Commander for Fleet Management at U.S. Fleet Forces Command, and served as the Director, Maritime Headquarters at U.S. Fleet Forces Command. He has over 4,700 hours of flight time in 52 different aircraft and flew 95 combat missions. Mark Guadagnini retired from active duty in October 2013 and went to work at Shell as Vice President for Arctic Maritime and Logistics. In July 2016, he assumed the duties as General Manager for the Shell Technology Center in Houston. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show, Guad. It is great to be with you. Thanks, sir. So we have a lot to cover today, so let's dive right into it. So you have to tell us, Mark, why Guad? Well, as as the bio mentioned, I was a Navy fighter pilot for 33 years, and my call sign was Guad. Normally, you have to do something either really famous or infamous to get a call sign, uh, I managed to stay away from those things, and it just took my long last name, which you might uh, imagine give people some trouble, and they just shortened it to Guad, and it stuck, and I'm happy with it. What kind of, this is kind of off topic, but uh, this is more for me, what kind of planes did you fly? Uh, Well, I started out flying an airplane called the A6. Uh, which is uh, a, uh, an attack airplane, jet airplane off the carrier, transitioned into the F-14, and then uh, transitioned to F-18s afterwards. And I'm also helicopter qualified. So I, as a test pilot, I got the chance to fly a bunch of different airplanes and was lucky enough to uh, get to fly for a long time. Did you ever fly an F-15? That's my favorite out of all planes. Yes, I did fly an F-15, and it's glorious. Oh, Wow, you just made my day. Thank you for that, Mark. All right, sorry, back on track here. No, that's okay, Nick. By the way, every, everybody calls me Quad except for my parents. Okay. All right, so Quad from... Quad it is. I like yeah, it. Quad it is. Sign. I love it. <laughs> okay, so getting back to logistics challenges and building operational excellence. So what does teamwork mean to you? I spent my entire life growing up playing team sports and then got into the U.S. Navy, which is all about the team. Uh, Individuals are only capable of what an individual can do, but when you put groups of people together to accomplish uh, a, a problem or accomplish a mission, then that group is more capable than the sum of the individual parts if they are working together. 
So teamwork involves excellent communications across the team. Uh, teamwork involves a variety of skills and diverse thinking uh, to be able to attack every problem. And uh, teamwork involves uh, trust between each other, and it involves a commitment to, uh, to the mission and to the organization. All those things give you excellent teamwork. Um, how does training play an important role in operational excellence? That's a, that is a great question, and uh, you need to look no further than um, than the NFL. I mean, there was just a Super Bowl, and each of those excellent football teams that was in the Super Bowl is made up of individual athletes who have practiced their passing skills, their blocking skills, their running skills, their catching skills, those individual skills, they practice them over and over and over, so they train themselves. And before that football team ever gets on the field, they go through practices where the offensive line will practice its skills, the defensive line, the linebackers, the quarterbacks, they all practice their skills as small units. And then they, they get up to where they do scrimmages against each other, uh, more training to make sure that they're ready to go. And then they even have go as far as to get the whole team training together and practicing in preseason games. And they do that so that when the regular season breaks out, they're operating at peak performance. And that training, that repetition of doing the skills is what's required to make an organization, especially a logistics organization, excellent. So, so it's almost like muscle memory as of your training in flying your aircrafts. Uh, it, it's almost like natural instinct once when you do it so repetitively over and over again. It'd be like you lose an engine, you automatically know the steps you have to go through to restart that engine or get out of the flat spin or, or whatever cool stuff's going on in that aircraft. You're exactly correct. And one of the best organizations at that are, uh, is the U.S. military. When I went through, you know, 13 years of training, essentially, before I ever got into combat, when I flew my first combat mission in Desert Storm, everything was exactly the same as we had practiced multiple times, except the bullets and the missiles coming at me were real. So then, um, from a logistics standpoint, when we talk about the training, what specifically um, would you say that we should target um, to train our people in for the operational excellence? Because I know you use the analogy of you know football, but if we're looking at supply chain and logistics, what exactly should we be doing over and over and over again for that excellence? The... Uh so I'll, uh, I'll use a little bit of what worked for us uh, over a 12,000-mile supply chain in Alaska. Uh, we had a multimodal uh, delivery of different kind of parts and people and supplies over a 12,000-mile supply chain. And so before we actually got into operations, we practiced... Uh, especially the transitions, getting stuff from trucks to boats, 
getting people from planes to helicopters to go offshore, making sure that our transfer of chemicals, the guys could do that at sea, and they could do that on land. And we also trained our folks who were overseeing that. Everybody uses computers to track where their goods and people are, uh, but making sure that the communications between people and people on the other side of the computers is excellent so that everybody who is involved in the supply chain has that common knowledge and knows what's happening next. Interesting. Practiced, we practiced all those individual skills, and then we actually ran a, a total team exercise prior to going into operations for the Alaska drilling season. That's interesting. Can you give us a quick sneak peek into that supply chain that it's, you said 12,000 miles? That's correct. We had, uh, we had boats that we had to bring from Finland uh, all the way up to Alaska, and the part, some of the repair parts came from Finland to Alaska. We had uh, drill pipe and, uh, and drilling fluids and chemicals that came from Texas and had to come all the way up to Alaska. Our food for the operation, and we had at any one time about a 1,000 people offshore, our food originated in Washington State and had to get all the way up to the Arctic Circle. So that was, uh, it was a pretty amazing supply chain. Ahead of lettuce only lasted 27 days after you cut it. <laughs> and so to get it from, uh, from a farm in Washington up to the Arctic, Arctic Circle and still have usable lettuce life was, uh, was a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no Especially kidding. with the temperatures once when you get to the Arctic Circle. Right. So it, it, it actually had to make sure that stuff didn't freeze. Yeah, that would be uh, the, the biggest challenge. It's not really when it left Texas because it's at ambient temperature, like normal, regular temperature. But once when you cross, uh, yeah, further up north, that would be, you'd almost have to heat the truck just to keep the lettuce from not going uh, brown, frostbit. Well, the other challenge in Alaska is there's no roads that uh, go from Anchorage, the south of Alaska, where everything comes in up to the north where we were operating so it's all it's all boats and uh, and aircraft at that point in time wow because wow. i know in canada we have a like northern ontario northern quebec they have a lot of ice roads so these roads in, in the summertime they're they're not roads they're closed you can only get access by boat but in the winter everything freezes so then they actually plow and and put water down and make actually ice roads to drive on just to get to the further um countries or, or further towns that's north of the major city. We, we were operating in the summer. That's the only time when the water was, was, was ice-free for us yeah. to be able to do drilling operations offshore. Wow, wow. Okay. So in logistics, we rely on so many different pieces to the supply chain puzzle. I mean, like you just told us with your your supply chain in Alaska. In Alaska. So how does trust play a key role in that? Trust is huge. As I said, it was part of teamwork, and your logistics organization is is really a team, and you have to treat it that way if it's going to be uh, really successful. And building that trust means spending time to build the personal relationships with the team. 
So there are a lot of different levels in the organization that have to deal with outside folks. No, nobody really has their own totally, uh, totally contained supply entity. You interface with other companies. So at the vice president and CEO and executive levels, those guys and girls need to chat together to make sure that they've built the trusting relationships that they know, hey, our, all our, both our businesses are on the up and up and we are aligned in the outcomes. And then the mid-level managers that deal with each other on a, uh, on a routine basis, they have to be able to talk and gather in forums to build those relationships. And then... The the trucks and passing the supplies from from the truck to the warehouse and from the warehouse into the airplane and all the different things like that. Those day-to-day folks need to know that they're all part of the team. And one of the things that, uh, that really helps that is making sure everybody knows what the end state of the mission, why is everybody doing it. Uh, and that communication on why the common sense of purpose and continued talking back and forth to each other builds the trusting relationships you need. What is the winning formula? The winning formula is when you can generate successful outcomes on a routine basis. You know, if you generate a successful outcome once, uh, you may be lucky but a winning formula enables you to do it again and again and again. And that's the, the elements of the winning formula is having the right people in the right jobs, having those people well-trained to do the jobs that they're expected to do, having the correct resources to accomplish the job, having a good team formed that trust each other and, uh, and have each other's backs, and then building those trusting relationships with the other companies that uh, you depend on to help you accomplish the mission. If you can do those five things, you're, that's the winning formula every time, and you can do it over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's the key of doing it over and over and over again. So then what are your tips to uh, building trusting relationships? I know you just spoke about you know, uh, having trust and uh, building those trusting relationships, but what are your tips to be able to do that? Well, the, uh, and you guys can, uh, can Google this sometime and see, but uh, learning how to drink a cup of coffee is, uh, is really, I think, the key to building trust. And what I mean by that is learning to, if you can sit down with somebody without notepads or computers, and look that person in the eye and have a cup of coffee together and talk about uh, your, your personal life, your business life, the business outcomes you're trying to generate. If you can do that face-to-face with somebody, that builds trust because you have to look someone in the eye and interface personally. Uh, and the same thing at, uh, you know, at larger levels, at conference levels, there's something about eating together. When you get executives together and you're sitting down over a meal discussing business, uh, you just can't get mean when, when you're having a dinner together over food. 
That's exactly right. I love that analogy. But I think one also thing to to mention would be, you know, put the cell phone away and also to, you know, listen to listen, not listen to reply. And I think that's where a lot of people, even if you are having that interaction, a lot of people get it wrong. Sir, you're exactly right. Communication is only successful when two things happen. There's a transmission and there's a reception. If only one of the, if there's only transmission, then it's not effective communication. If it's only reception, it's not effective communication. It's got to be two-way. It's got to There's got to be a transmit and there's got to be a receive. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the Fenica story? I know, I know when you um, when you do when you um, are at a conference and you're speaking about the operational excellence and uh, the logistics challenges, this is one story that you you generally tell in in your speaking opportunities. So, so can you tell us a little bit about that story? I, I sure can, sir. And it's an interesting story, and it brings out uh, it brings out two key points. And I'll tell you the key points ahead of time. So, one is you have to build resilience into your organization, and uh, resilience to me is uh, equals the capacity that you build in your organization to make sure you have sufficient capacity to do the job, plus enough extra to allow for contingencies. And the second part of resilience is training. So capacity plus training equals resilience. And the second point to make is that no matter how good your risk analysis and your hazard analysis is, something is going to happen to get get in there and wreak havoc with your plan. So the the Fenica was one of our key vessels for operating in Alaska. It was an icebreaker, but it also had a key piece of equipment called a capping stack on board. And the capping stack, if everybody remembers the Deepwater Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico, what ultimately stopped that uh, spill was a capping stack, and it's about a four-story high uh, 25,000-ton piece of equipment. I think it's 25,000 tons, but it's huge. It was on the back of the Fenica. When it, the Fenica pulled out to deploy into the Arctic from Dutch Harbor, Alaska, it ran aground on an uncharted shoal. And why was it uncharted? The last time the contours of, of Unalaska were made was in 1935. What? Alaska has earthquakes and volcanoes and stuff like that, and the seafloor varies. It varied enough. There was an uncharted shoal. Put a hole in it. Wow. Uh, because it was an icebreaker and because uh, Unalaska is a, it's a wonderful place, and I hope everybody visits it sometime, but they don't have all the uh, industrial capability to do the repair of a ship like that. So we had to bring it down to Portland, Oregon, put it in the shipyard, and get it repaired. The ability of my team to make that adjustment and get a boat to go 5,500 miles get a repair in a, uh, in, a, in a dry dock that hadn't been anticipated and get it back out to sea in 10 days' time was just simply amazing. Uh, but 
one of the things that, that we didn't anticipate, obviously we didn't anticipate an uncharted shoal, but we also didn't anticipate when we came out that there were protesters hanging from the St. John's Bridge, which is the only way out of the dockyard. They were actually breaking federal law by, by blocking a federal waterway, but we hadn't anticipated that, and so we had to, uh, because of our training and ability to interface with local officials and the ability to make plans very rapidly, we were able to successfully get the Fenneca back out to sea without hurting any protesters or violating any laws. So it was pretty, pr pretty amazing, things that we never anticipated. Wow, that's that's a really great story. I mean, you touch on a few things, and I think problem solving is one of them. I mean, in 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 a lot of what we're talking about today, it's not really mentioned, but I I really think that problem solving is is a key characteristic or or key trait that we really need to be able to train so that people can kind of pivot and uh, go with the flow and kind of change as they need quickly. I agree with that 100%, sir. And regarding that story, that goes perfect with my saying, ship happens. Yeah, that is our saying for the podcast. We, we end every podcast with ship happens. And it's because, you know, in our industry and in supply chain and logistics, you know, it really is a good saying, you know, ship happens. You need to pivot. You need to be able to make changes. And goes. yeah, and if your team is trained and works really well together, they'll be able to, and that, that story just shows that, they'll be able to, to do that quite quickly and efficiently and, and save the company not only time, but, but money as well. That has been my exact experience, uh, sir, is that, uh, the best logisticians are people who can solve problems very quickly, uh, and they are also uh, people who can uh, develop very good relationships with other people. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I also think maybe another key element might be strategy. Correct. Make it, making a plan is important, even though you know that that plan, in the military, it's, it's often said the plan doesn't survive the first contact with the enemy. And uh, in the supply world, we all know that same. We, we, have, a, we have a plan, and almost uh, inevitably, the, the first, uh, first time you go to execute, something happens that uh, is outside of the parameters that you planned for. Yeah, I think on the first one, they call that, what, like Murphy's Law or something? <laughs> All right. Well, what do you see in the future of operational excellence in logistics in the next five to 10 years? And what do you think the challenges might be? So what I see is um, systems and technology are going to continue to develop at an extremely rapid pace. I mean, logistics changed completely when, uh, when the telephone came into being. And then when computers came into being, logistics changed again. You could do things faster, see things better. And as our commuting power and our ability to, to track items and communicate with each other increases, and who knows what the future holds with technology, the key to being successful is making sure that the people who are in supply chain and logistics 
can learn to use that technology rapidly to their advantage, while at the same time not losing the ability to have those people-to-people skills which are so critical uh, in supply chain. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. So not only implementing the technology and teaching them how to use the technology, but really teaching them the strategy around it and how to use that technology to not only help them, help the company, but help the customers as well, I believe. That's correct. All right, Guad. What is next for Guad and Shell? Well, it's, it's really a very exciting time to be in Shell. Uh, it's been an amazing company to go to work for after being in the U.S. Navy. Now, the values are very similar. Uh, one, Shell cares for people not just in the company, but cares for the people in the world with whom we interface. Um, two, Shell, Shell is an extremely uh, safe company and are concerned uh, about safety as one of our core values. And then, uh, two, integrity is, is uh, part, uh, part of the core value of the military, and, uh, and it is here in Shell as well. So it was an easy fit for me to come here and be part of this company. But the reason it's so exciting to be in Shell is because Shell, Shell's aim is to power progress by providing more and cleaner energy solutions for the world. And so the kind of research that we're doing right now in alternative energies and solving the world's energy problems uh, in other than fossil fuel areas is amazing. And being right here at Shell Technology Center Houston and seeing the research that, that we're doing on alternative fuels, I mean, some of the things is you look at the movie Back to the Future and think about what uh, what he what the good doc there was was using to fuel his uh, his car, his time machine. Uh, we're doing some of that same stuff right here at Shell, and it's amazing to see. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting. Well, Guad, Nick and I are so thankful that you could come on the show today and provide our audience, not only the audience, but ourselves with your insights and tips on operational excellence, building that and logistical challenges. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Nick, Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep your orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and drop ship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. Get your free assessment. Visit them at IceCorpLogistics.com. Check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. You heard it here, a combination of teamwork and learning every day is the key to overcoming challenges. Thank you, Guad, for joining us today. Next week, it's a throwback to 2016. We have Andrea and Joe from APQC. It's Joe's first time on the show, but Andrea is coming back. You're not gonna wanna miss this episode on big data and analytics. We are now on Google Play, so subscribe to us there or on iTunes or Stitcher. 
or keep on top of new episodes by following us on LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurik, and we are your hosts, Nick and Sarah. Thanks for joining us today, people. And remember, folks, ship happens.